0: Fresh New Shorts offers you new short stories from award-winning writers. Today's story is part one of Skater Man by John Blackmore and is found in A Physicist Guide to Love, Another Natural Phenomenon, available on Amazon. In Skater Man, French athlete Alain Boisclair places fourth in all five speed skating events at the Lake Placid Olympics. Bitterly disappointed, he borrows a fellow Olympian's bronze medal and hitches a ride to see the Statue of Liberty in New York City. His plans go awry during a violent altercation on the subway. Skaterman. France athlete, arrow, 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 NY City. Alain held his handmade sign blazoned with the five interlocking rings of Olympia. It wasn't long, maybe 15 minutes of holding out his pouce before he flagged a ride with an American family. Alain dropped his sign on the side of the road, grabbed his bag and climbed in the back of the car. He slipped his hand inside his down coat and fingered Perrine's medal. Perrine was the only member of the French team to win a medal in Lake Placid, a bronze in giant slalom. GS wasn't Alain's sport, and with a myopia brought on by intense focus, Giant slalom was a sport he didn't even understand. He knew it was wrong to have asked her to wear the medal for the night, playing on her sympathy for his situation. Worse, to be taking it so recklessly out of the village. It would be about five hours from Lake Placid to New York City. The Americans didn't recognize the famous Frenchman now on their bench back seat. The sweet apples, dad, mom, teenage daughter didn't read Figaro. No American paper bothered to report that as Haydn scored gold in all five speed skating events, Alain Boisclare of France came fourth, 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 and fourth. If only Liwe or Yevgeny or Terje or any damn Norwegian, Dutch, or Russian had slipped in any race, he would have had his own medal, rather than borrowing one like a fool. Nothing. The effort and strain of the 10,000-meter race, a distance that was never his event, had left him shocked in the toilet as his battered body voided blood. The Sweet Apples drove a Parisienne station wagon, which served as the source of humor for the first half hour. He had no idea what was Parisian about this monstrous car. The wife was immediately smitten, Alain could tell. Not that he was vain, just observant. She had big blonde hair, but he could see through it to the days when it was cropped and styled like a twenties flapper. That would have been sometime in the late sixties. She would have been prettier that way. Her name was Eleanor. Alain told her it was the name of a beautiful French queen. He liked the way it brought color to her cheeks. Such simple things, and yet the husband was not aware of them. Alain sat in the gargantuan backseat with the couple's 13-year-old daughter. Like every other young girl he had seen in this country, she had metal wrapped around her teeth, provoking her to raise her hand to shield her mouth when she spoke or laughed or smiled. She was lucky enough to look like her mother, he never did find out her name, though she smiled and covered her mouth and smiled and covered in a continuing repetition. Eleanor's husband was Max. I played baseball in college, Max said. He piloted the big car down I-87 at 65 miles per hour. Shortstop, Would have been in the majors except for my knee. The majors. That's like the Olympics of baseball, Max explained. The World Series would be the Olympics, his braced daughter said through her hand. The World Series is part of the major leagues. Making it to the majors is part and parcel of making it to the World Series, her father said. You know, we watched a number of these Olympic events, and you can tell that a lot of people are here just for the enjoyment of sport. Now, I think that's really nice. Really nice. I mean, they're not here with any expectation of winning. They just want to compete. I mean, some of these countries sent over people who, hell, I could outskate. But I guess that's all part and parcel of the Olympics. Max, his wife said in a whisper. No, I mean, I think that's great. I think that is great to teach people in other parts of the world that it's okay not to win. Now, when I played in college, that was not the case. It was all about the winning. It's how I broke my leg, trying to get out... Tom Daniels as he charged the third. Tom played for the Orioles, you know? For us, it was all about the winning. But then, that's the major leagues. It's not the Olympics. Ellen leaned forward from his seat. His right hand was on Eleanor's shoulder. She was wearing an old-style French ski sweater. He squeezed the thick wool as he spoke. Monsieur Max, lowering and directing his voice to the man, knowing the wife and not the daughter would hear. I have pursued my sport since I was eight. Every morning before the sun rose, no girl, no wine, no party, I gave up everything. This week, I pissed blood to win. Hey, 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 now, friend, we don't have that kind of French in my car. If you're going to carry on like that, I'll have to stop this Parisienne in Albany and ask you to get out. Max, his wife said, he doesn't speak English, and you insulted him. There's no insult in what I said. What insult? Unless he wants to see it that way. God, Max, you can be so. Eleanor put her hand on her forehead and closed her eyes. So? Max insisted. She kept her eyes closed. Now he would want to win. He was right. They taught him to win. He would have to win this argument, and she would have to make up some way so he could be right. God. And she was smarter than him, too. Hadn't she gotten A's in college? In political studies? In psychology? She could have been, what? Something. At least something. At least something more than Max's wife. I can be so what? Max insisted. She'd worn her hair short, and she had been pretty and she had lots of boys interested in her. Max was a catch, she reminded herself. He had been handsome, and still was, if a little heavier. And Max's father had a good label and staple business that Max would inherit. And her in-laws were not completely insufferable, even if their veneer wore through from time to time to reveal they thought she only wanted the riches of the label and staple empire. She laughed. So, what? I can be as goddamn funny? Max said. The empire of staples, the kingdom of labels. What a funny thing to pick as your life's work, keeping the world safe from loose paper. You can be so like my father, she said, and leaned over to kiss him. Max smiled at this. I certainly don't want to be that, he said. She smiled. Thinking that he didn't even realize that he was insulting her. Eleanor looked into the back seat at Alain and smiled. He winked at her. But it was not a conspirator's wink, it was a closing of one eye that said he understood all those visions that ran through her head as if he could see through her big hair and straight into her soul. She felt her face grow warm. They stopped outside Albany for gas. Max bought a Babe Ruth bar and a tin of Pepsi. Eleanor had a Diet 7-Up. Their daughter declined all nourishment. So where are you headed, Max asked. The statue, alain said. The statue, Max asked. The woman in the harbour, the gift of France. The Statue of Liberty, you mean? Yes. Max laughed, shaking his head as he drove reaching down to steady the Pepsi between his legs. I've had these pictures since I was a boy, Alan said. He pulled out a disc and held it over the bench front seat of the station wagon. Eleanor took it. It's a viewmaster slide, she said. A friend of my mother gave it when I was ten. I said I would see her if I was near. Liberty will be closed by the time you get to the harbor, Max said. Eleanor turned on the car's vanity light in the sun visor. She started to rotate the disc with its small pictures. You had one of these when you were younger, she said to her daughter. Disney World, wasn't it? The girl nodded her head with her hand in front of her mouth. Max is right, Eleanor said. The fairies will have stopped. You won't get over. Are you staying with someone? I am going to the Ritz-Carlton Battery Park, Eleanor said. Max whistled. Swanky. They pay athletes pretty well in France. Alain didn't reply. He didn't know how much it cost to stay there. He didn't have any plan other than the desire to get out of the athlete's village with its constant reminder of the number four. He knew that from Battery Park, he could see Liberty Island. His mother's friend had stayed there with a rich American and told the story. If you're going to the Ritz, we can drop you off at the top of the subway line, say, Wakefield. That's an awful long way to go by subway, and for someone's first time in New York, Eleanor said. The metro is fine, Alain said. Max shrugged. See? What he said. Anyway, we're not driving all the way through Manhattan. That's an hour down and an hour back if we're lucky. He's an Olympic athlete, after all. It was not the Paris metro. The door shut on Alain at 10.04 p.m., 4.04 in New York, he figured. He took a seat as the train accelerated from the suburban terminus and began to hurtle towards the city. He could not read the graffiti on the walls, or the windows, or the seats, or the ceiling. He figured it was because of his English. But such bizarre, stylized words. He folded his hands over his bag. This one train would take him all the way to the south end of Manhattan Island, where the ferries left for Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty. He closed his eyes and dozed off. Music woke him. He had no idea where he was at first, but he was conscious of movement, and then remembered the train, and then he heard the song. "Crazy little thing called love, the chorus went. He'd heard this tune many times in the United States. It was the number one song. It blared from a radio that one man carried with him as he and three others boarded his car from the one ahead. Anlan looked around. The car was empty now. Others, there had been others, he was sure, must have left the car when they heard the music coming. Gotta be cool, relax, get hip, get on my tracks. The foursome walked from the door and sat directly across from Alain. The one with the radio put it on the floor, halfway between them, pointing the speakers at Alain, then leaning over to turn the volume up even higher. "'Crazy little thing called love,' the song said." This type of thing had never happened to him on the Paris Metro, but he had read about it in Figaro. Alain kept his eyes down on the floor. Another stop could not be far away. He would simply like the music, one of them asked. It was hard to hear him. Alain didn't say anything at first. Maybe he hadn't asked Alain a question. He tightened his grip on the back. He's a weirdo, but he can sure sing, the man said. The train seemed to be decelerating. Alain prepared to stand up. So do you like my music or not, he asked again. With a sudden jolt to his heart, Alan could see that there was no right answer to this question. As his heart began to beat faster, he was conscious of the metal around his neck. Alain stood up, holding his bag in one hand and a pole to steady himself with the bumps and jars of the subway car. Two of the others leaped to the door and blocked it. Sit down, pally. We're just talking music. So, do you like Queen or not? Alain sat down. Answer the fucking question, one of the men blocking the door said. No, Alan said. You don't like my music, the first one said. I don't like Queen. You some kind of foreigner? Alan didn't understand him. There was a band called Foreigner, he knew. He didn't know if they were still talking music. The car stopped, but the doors didn't open automatically. There were only a few people on the platform, and when they saw the men at the doors... They went to other cars. He could make a run for the door, but how did they open? You French? And I looked back, and the car started to move again. A black sour pit formed in his stomach. And I nodded. Wasn't there a French guy in the octagon? One of the supervillains? The leader asked the three others. They didn't seem to know. There's always a French asshole, all high and mighty, Is that you, Frenchie? Do you know any kung fu, Frenchie? In a sudden predicament, Alain found all his language abilities disintegrating. The one with the radio stood up and lowered himself into a crouch with his arms bent to his sides. Awww! He yelled in a slow, high-pitched wail, and then he kicked his right leg out, striking the window just to the side of Alain. That's kung-fucking-fu. Do you know any kung fu? See the octagon? What a movie, one of the men by the door said. Man, those throwing stars, the other one said. The leader was down in his crouch again. He gave a scream to align his chi and then kicked his left leg to hit the window on the other side of Alain. He pounded his chest and hissed at Alain. Alain had now reached the point where he did not understand anything, this man said to him. All English ability had deserted him. The man was back in his crouch and beckoning Alain to stand up. The train was coasting, but soon it would decelerate to the next stop. Alain knew he would have to get out. He saw the button to the side. He would lunge for the door and somehow press the button to open it and dive out before they could chase him. At least he would be on the platform. He hoped it was a busy stop. He thought of all the time he had spent training. If only he had mastered a useful sport like boxing or judo. He fumbled with his bag. He remembered he had his long-bladed skates. Frenchie, are you getting up or am I going to shit-kick you here? Alain stood up. The gang of men clapped mockingly at his show of bravery. He slung the bag over his shoulder and unzipped it partially. It had a double zipper and he had opened it in the middle. The leader, Mr. Kung Fu, was spinning around and squealing, Alan's heart was beating hard, harder than the last hundred of his 10,000-meter race. Kung Fu approached with another screech, faked a punch, and kicked Alain in the stomach. Alain bent double with the blow, but was not completely winded. Anyone else but an Olympic speed skater who was the fourth best man in the world over five grueling distances would have been sprawled on the floor. Alain's abdominals were stronger than the side panels of an American car. Kung Fu Man lurched back into his crouch and swept a roundhouse kick that Alain ducked. He could feel the train slowing for the next stop. Alain stooped over as if still feeling the effects of the first kick and slipped his hand into the bag. He felt for his speed skates and put his right hand inside the leather and made a fist. A speed skate's 45 centimeter blade was keener than a chef's knife. Out of habit, Alain had sharpened both blades today. The train was slowing for sure, maybe 30 seconds before the next stop. Kung Fu Man came at him again with a crazy scream and punched two realistic karate strikes at Alain, hitting him once at the right shoulder, jarring his hand in his skate. And then, even if it wasn't his plan at the time, Alain whipped the skate-gloved hand out of the bag, lunging like a fencer at the Kung Fu clown and swiping his blade across the man's raised leg. The resulting scream was much more intense and real than the squealing up to that point. Kung Fu boy fell to the car's floor, gripping his thigh. His jeans had been cut open. A deep line of red welled up and soaked the denim. Alain swung around to the door. Everything in his entire being focused on the door. He had to get out. It was as if there was no oxygen in the car and he had to escape to breathe. The two men barring the door were shocked at the sudden change and what was supposed to happen. Alain ran at them, swinging his skate. They raised their jean jacket arms to protect themselves and his speed skates cut through the coats they howled. Alain banged against the side of the car, near the door, and started hammering the open button. He was so pumped with adrenaline, he couldn't tell anymore if the train was slowing, speeding up, or if it was stopped. He pounded the open button. He yelled, but nothing opened. The train didn't seem to be stopping. As a speed skater, his peripheral vision was extremely acute. He could see the fourth one rushing at him now, but he couldn't stop his body from pounding the door everything was about the door he began to turn wielding his skate when the man sprang he had something in his hand the knife was aimed at the center of alain's chest and the man's forward momentum carried it full forward Thunk. the blade sprang from the attacker's hand he yelped alain felt the impact but no sudden puncture the man's motions took him into alain The Frenchman slashed his attacker's backside and down his leg. The train continued to move. All four attackers sprawled on the floor of the car. He's a fucking superhero. We've taken on fucking Skater Man, yelled the one who had the knife. He's the silver skater. The first Kung Fu boy gripped his profoundly bleeding leg. His face wasn't crumpled with pain. It was blanked white with fear. I seen this. The one who had had the knife continued. Guy attacked special forces vet who used to kill the Viet Cong with a spoon. He paused to swear and shift his position. And then he cuts them all up. Kung Fu Boy's eyes were glazing. Alan stood by the door. Nobody moved towards him. He was worried about the first one's thigh wound. There was a speed skater who had cut his femoral artery in a crash on the oval, the blood pouring out and freezing on the ice. Fucking silver skater! That knife should have killed him! Alain looked inside his jacket. The knife blow had torn through his down coat to drift a scatter of white feathers in the car. The knife had struck just to the right of the XII, or 13, and above the M of the Olympic, a Perrine's bronze medal. Alain took a scarf from his neck. He threw it towards one of the men. You must wrap his leg... The man didn't move. Go on, you must whap it now. Alain made a false lunge at him and the man scuttled towards the one with the deep cut on his thigh. For Alain, the air was clearing now in the train. It was re-oxygenating. There was a mangy sweet smell of sweat and blood. He had never before felt so in control of the entire world. He felt as if he could order the subway train to burst through the hundreds of feet of earth above them and bear him down Manhattan's thoroughfares like a king. In truth, he felt like he was a superhero. It was, he reflected, what Eric Haydn must have felt when he stepped up to that podium five times to hear that awful anthem. The train was slowing, but part of him did not want to get off. On this one car, he was the master of the world. It must have been the same way for Haydn. How long did they let you stay on the podium, raising your flowers to the crowd, pinching your medal and holding it up for them all? Kung Fu's leg was dutifully wrapped with Alain's scarf. The others pulled themselves up to seats. Smears of blood seemed to compose Chinese characters on the floor. The train was stopping. Alain reached into his down jacket and pulled out Perrine's medal. He held it away from his body like a crucifix to vampires, the ribbon taut against the back of his neck. He swept back with his speed skate and cut the plastic of the open button. The doors swooshed apart. He pointed the medal at each of them. I am an Olympian, he shouted. He turned and ran. There were perhaps twenty people on the platform. Two or three of them clapped. Was it a show? Was it real? Alan bounded the stairs three at a time to burst into the neon-charged night air.